Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz, and what I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes and luminaries from the sports science community, and what has come to be expected, I'll provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sports and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. Now sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. All right, here we are, and I've got VJ Jones with me today. Again. Again. Well, you know, it's going to be a thing, VJ. You, you keep me on point. You keep telling me that you're the point guy. And uh, whenever <laughs> I start to ramble and get lost, that you kind of reel me back in. And, and I need that these days because I'm getting old, right? True, but I think you're just like, your brain is unlimited. You're like a sponge with no, like, boundaries. Culture? So you just keep absorbing all this information. And then you have eight ways to accomplish the same goal from different like fitness standpoints. So then you start talking about one, then you drift into the other and then you drift into another and then people get lost. Some people yeah. can keep track like me. I've heard each one of these things at one point. So I'll just keep you on the rails. I'm like, I'm like the conductor here. Right. So, well, I got to tell you, I, I appreciate that when I start talking to a room full of people and I notice the people in the back of the room are sleeping <laughs> that, that that's about the time you should have been dragging me back up on the rails so that I can, you know, stay relevant and entertaining. That's, that's my goal. I want to talk a little bit about what's going on lately. Lately with me or with the world? Yes. Or? Well, oh, I think me. people are really interested to hear from you because we're into the new season and the race schedule is just kind of getting underway. Mm -hmm. and uh you just raced in chino let's talk about that a little bit yeah so um chino's probably one of my favorite events of the year just because no one's really in peak condition at that point and you just get to kind of see where you're at um and it's just a great course it's flat it's fast a couple little terrain things but just a great event overall so just kind of a checkup see where we're at and um, well clearly yeah things things are all right so uh <laughs> Ended up, I actually was really happy with the way I ran. I wasn't the fastest runner this weekend, but I, I'm really happy with how I ran. Like compared to last year, I think I was faster this year than I was last year. But um, Mark was just in a really fast place. He's had a really good end of the year training cycle and then took a couple weeks off. So he's bouncing back really fast. But fortunately for me, I'm super jacked and I could just move so much weight, even though I don't look like I can. So the tire flip both days came in handy for me and I was able to close in the first day he failed it. And then I ran away from him. And then second day, it just took him a little longer. And, um, I think he toasted himself trying to put a gap on me halfway through the race. And he just kind of fell apart by the time he got to those last few obstacles. So I was able to, uh, maintain my effort a little better through the obstacles and paid off. And obviously enough, the next race that uh, is on the agenda for us is Jacksonville, which is definitely an A race. Yes, trying to be. Um, I had a little injury thing in the off season, so I had to take a bunch of time off and not run. So my training has picked up a little later than I would have wanted it to. I didn't start running till probably just after Christmas. And I, I probably would have wanted to start running a little sooner, 
just to make sure I was really prepared for Jacksonville. I feel like I'm kind of running out of time, but my running's actually in a pretty good place. Like, for example, that we had six obstacles, not like big obstacles, but six obstacles in the first mile of this race. And we ran, I think, a 5.15 or 5.18 mile with six obstacles in the first mile. So we were, we were hauling in that sprint the next day. And then the next one had a carry in it, and we were still sub six for the second mile. Nice. So we're, we're moving pretty quick. So I, I think Jacksonville is going to be a very entertaining race to watch. So I'm sitting here thinking while you're speaking, and uh, there good. are some things that I, I could have said or commented on relative to your performance and where your edge is and all this kind of stuff, but I'm a poker player. Why in the hell would I tell everybody what your edge is, right? <laughs> and, and I honestly, people think, geez, what a, what a jerk, you know? He, He's like trying to keep a secret, you know, I'm like, it's competition. You know, why, why would you let the other people that you're racing with know what they need to work on in order to take you out? So no, obviously right. enough, and everybody probably knows this at this point, I'm, I'm pretty seriously vested in your performance. I'm just going to be the guy that keeps you on the rail when it comes to conversation about how you managed to do what you did and what took you there. Yeah, I won't talk about how what I suck at or anything. We'll we'll keep that between us. <laughs> That'd be fine with me. All right. <laughs> so, um, I I before we got on, I had mentioned to you that there is this little trick that I developed in the secret lab, and quite right. frankly, this little trick that I developed, it's been about geez, I want to say it's about five years back that I came across this idea and uh, I put it to practice. I actually used this trick with Hunter when we were putting a lot of work together okay. back in the day and way kinda, back in the day, it kind of got tabled for a while because other stuff happens. Like you say, you know, there's like, I got about eight things floating around in my little head and I just keeping me on point is very difficult. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, this trick that we developed, Hunter was so moved by what was going on, he wanted to invest in the idea and develop the, the project and turn it into a marketable item. And uh, I'm just like, nah, dude, I'm not doing that. However, what a lot of people don't know is that aside from working with OCR athletes, aside from doing gait evaluations and VO2 testing and things like this with athletes, I get a variety of athletes that come to see me. And quite frankly, I'm not even sure how they find me. They just do. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so the last little bit here, I've been working with some collegiate sprinters. I've got two athletes that will remain unnamed because quite frankly, I don't think they're supposed to see me. Yeah, yeah, go outside of their yeah, uh, official like coaching from the taboo. universities. So I've got a sprinter that runs for UCLA, and I've got a sprinter that runs for USC. And both of them have a pretty good shot at making the Olympics. Really? Yeah. Wow. They came to me, well, two different reasons. One came to me because frustrated with injuries and really having a lot of trouble, incapable of performing or even – training and 
got uh, that individual. I'm not even going to use sexes here. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, genders. Uh, um, I got her back to running. Did I just say her? <laughs> no, you didn't. Can't no, keep didn't. a secret, can I? Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, I got her, got her running, and now she's doing really well, and she's back on point, and things are starting to look pretty good. The other individual I'm working with was here with me just yesterday morning, and he's not. Did I say he? I, All I right, can't. Let's I can't. Start, can't. Let's start over. <laughs> oh man! All right, so I have these two track athletes. Working for competitive schools, incidentally, UCLA, USC, both of them with a shot at making the Olympics. Wow. Of course, they got to get through the trials, but I think that's going to that's gonna just drop for them. They're, they're going to make it. Anyway, one of these individuals with, was with me yesterday, and I applied this application to this individual. And you've seen this done. I think you've seen it done without me getting into grave detail. As a matter of fact, right. uh, the parent of one of these kids that I was working with yesterday said, so what do you call that? And I said, well, geez, that's interesting. I never gave it a name. <laughs> like so many I, things. I just refer to it as the secret sauce, right? All right. The I secret said, sauce. This particular technique is called the secret sauce. So I'm applying the secret sauce. And incidentally, that is not any kind of concoction you rub on your body. It's, it's just an application of uh, neural adaptation. It's about changing the way the brain identifies work and responds to work. And so without getting to a real laborious conversation around this singular point, right? you know, because we've worked so hard at this type of thing, that it's really critical that when you make ground contact, it's done with good precision, so you can garner the most amount of force production off the ground, which yields a much broader stride and distance covered per step. You're running faster. Okay? Right. Yeah. So, and you know, of course, that my treadmill is high speed, so I can get up to 28 miles per hour on this treadmill. Yes, unfortunately, you can. And this athlete is running the 100, okay? And the goal is to run a 10-second 100. That's the qualifier. You've got to run a 10 second hundred to make it to the Olympics. Anyway, we tried the secret sauce. We did these brief intervals under the attachment that I created, right? Right. I'm being vague on purpose, okay? So you don't want to, do you not want to say what exactly what the secret sauce is? You want to keep that for yourself? Well, I'm, I'm actually going to keep it for you. Mm. You follow? Okay. I feel. I mean, we, we spoke earlier about not letting out all the secrets, but point being is that here's the way it works. And I'm going to be vague, but I'm going to try to at least explain what's going to end up happening. We get on the treadmill at seven miles per hour with this application. There is me attached to this individual in some fashion while he's running at seven miles per hour. And it's brief. So we'll do like uh, 10 seconds, 15 seconds under my guidance. And then we do interval repeats like this. We do like three or four of them. Then mm -hmm. we recover from it because it's a little taxing. And then I jack the treadmill up to 15 miles per hour. Mind you, this is actually not very fast for him. But right. I just wanted yeah. to see the difference after he is no longer attached to this, this uh, secret sauce. Resistance. What it looks like 
at 15 miles per hour. And you know how my treadmill is in front of that TV, you know, the big screen TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mind you, again, just because people don't see this, they're hearing me say it. Jumping onto this belt at 15 miles per hour, he almost ran through the TV set. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. And so, he, you know, he jumped to the outsides, looked at me, started laughing, and we're like, whoa, what just happened? So we tried it again. And this time, I jacked the treadmill up to 18 miles per hour. Same outcome. Now, wow. I want to I share with people that have never seen this happen before. Typically, and I've been doing this kind of work, overspeed development work with athletes for a, a decade. Typically, what happens is when you initiate that contact with the belt that's moving at those high rates of speed, you start out by failing the ability to keep up with the belt, and then you have to recapture it. You have to, you know, you start moving off the back of the belt, and then you have to reposition yourself by, you know, working your ass off to get right back up in the middle of the belt and run, run against it. But now what you're doing is you're working really, really hard to achieve that speed, all right? And then it's usually pretty short-lived, you know, because you're completely overloaded to try to get back up to speed, and then, you, you know, you, you want to get off the belt. Mm-hmm. All right, so now that I've said that, I said, let's get you off the belt. We're, like, talking about it for a few minutes. We're trying to discuss what, it, what occurred, why it occurred, and how we might want to approach it in the future. And then we attempt it again. So I put them back under the secret sauce and we do a couple, three more intervals like this. Mind you, they're short lived. They're like 10, 15 seconds. Put them back on the belt at 20 miles an hour, same outcome. Wow. He literally had to slow down so that he wouldn't run off the front of the belt. That's crazy. I mean, I've experienced that speed when you make people do over speed. Um, jumping onto a treadmill. And when when I did it, what I think the max we got up to was 20. And I could right. barely stay on for eight to 10 seconds. And that was with the, the baby harness holding me up, making sure I didn't fall off. Yeah, so mind you, there was no incredibly harness. Incredibly impressive. So there he was, was no- just balls out speed like that. That's amazing. Well, identify that he was needing to slow down each of those applications to keep from running off the front of the treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm telling you, I've been doing this you know, on and off with different athletes, generally power athletes I do this with for Mm. 10 years so this is not a new trick and never ever ever have i seen anyone literally have to slow down in order to conduct himself at the speed that the belt is traveling because the speed is traveling well beyond human capacity for the most part right so Mm. he literally was slowing down to 20 miles an hour so that he can run the belt wow yeah so where I'm going with this is this is a trick that I want very – matter of fact, Tuesday morning, we will do this. Oh, because, and, and by the way, now I know a lot of people are trying to figure out what it is that I'm talking about, and you use the word resistance. And mm-hmm. it isn't so much about resistance. It's about neural adaptation. It's about putting your mind in the right place to put your ground contact appropriately in the right place with the greatest amount of force production. And that's what ended up happening. So he was actually working less than is typical to get way more than he would garner typically. Mm-hmm. And so that was a cool trick. The other thing that I wanted to briefly talk about, because I know people are curious about this and they assume, I've had people go, oh dude, did you just go off and now you're just like a CrossFit guy now? 
they t- totally don't understand. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They don't get me. They think that I'm a one trick pony and I just one day evolved into a situation where all I did was work with OCR athletes. And the fact of the matter is I work with all kinds of different athletes for all kinds of different reasons. I mean, you know that, but most Yeah, people- I was actually surprised at some of the athletes you work with. You wouldn't normally think like, oh, a soccer player would come work with Richard, yet you see the results of when they actually do focus on this side of their fitness and how it applies into their sport. Maybe. Oh, my God. Lots of soccer players, um, boxers, MMA fighters, hockey players. I mean, there's been a whole host of different – but, see, I think that this is part of the reason why – I'm able to pull off some of the tricks that I do is because I'm not just bridled by one application. So like a football coach, for example, he Mm. probably has been into football his entire life. Right. Right. That's what he does. He's all about football and people think, wow, he's all about football. He must be really, really good at football. And of course he most likely is. But sometimes I think that when you step outside the boundaries and you have experience in other applications that makes you think much broader you have a much broader thought process which helps you to get to places that normally you might not have found right Mm -hmm. so there are a lot of people out there assuming that and they've heard me talk about this dark horse program and uh, yeah no doubt about it i'm highly invested in this project and if you saw my desk right now, there's papers everywhere with parts of this program I've been writing and rewriting and designing and playing with, and, and, and I'm coming to a head with it. Dark Horse 2, the second application. The first time we threw out this Dark Horse program, we didn't really have history with it. We didn't have like, you know, 10 other people that did it and, you know, we could say they succeeded or failed with the program. Right. Um, but we got a lot of people to participate in the program and I have no idea how many, but there was a lot of people that participated in the program. Many of them never communicated with me. So, uh, I only know of the people that I've spoke with how it fared and it did really, really well. And recently one of the athletes that did the program, kind of the pilot program as it will, she is she's been to the CrossFit Games three times. Wow. And, and she's a master's athlete, so she's been into CrossFit for 10 years. And she, oh, she was like, she's ranked third in the world as a master's. Try to appreciate that you're 10 years deep into your sport. How hard it might be to think, I'm going to try something completely different with my training for eight weeks, dedicated eight weeks to this project. She shows up, we invited a bunch of these athletes over and some of them from Invictus, which is regarded very highly in the CrossFit world, Mm. came out and we tested them on all the exercise devices that they do their cardio on. So we put them on the treadmill, we put them on a skier, we put them on a rower, we put them on the Concept2 bike, and actually tested their VO2 back to back to back on all these different devices. And some people will ask, did they do it back to back? Well, no, they got rest in between because the other people were applying their talents to the work as we went along. So 
It wasn't okay. as harsh as someone might think. They had time. And we actually took the whole, we started at nine in the morning. I don't think we got done till five. Wow. Um, but where I'm going with this is this individual, I'll use her name. I'm sure she's cool with it. Jen Ryan told me that it's on video. It's coming out. She said the program completely changed her as an athlete. She's seeing ability to do work she has missed for years, and she's performing better than she has in a very long time. Literally, she said it changed her as an athlete. Are and, we, and, and when you say that, so this program is just targeting like the endurance side of CrossFit, like those 10 to 15 minute, like more cardio based workouts, or are we talking about? about even in the you know more explosive like lifting side of things as well we wrote the entire program so there is traditional crossfit workouts that are tied into the eight weeks and there are some custom workouts that were written by ryan fisher cool and then my job was to pull it all together and so where i'm going with this is at the end of the day and we the tagline we put on the program is called winning the battle with fatigue and if you really sit down and think about the, the base concern in all athletic endeavor is how well you contend with the ensuing production of fatigue. And at the end of the day, that fatigue is a result generally of lactate production. Mm. So when you start to go hard, you develop a tremendous amount of lactate. And if you're not able to clear that lactate from the working muscles, it becomes debilitating. It starts to shut you down. And this can happen in eight seconds. It can happen in 20 miles. It can happen. It could happen in your grip when you're going over a rig. Mm -hmm. So the principal enemy in most all of these athletic endeavors is lactic acid, but it doesn't need to be. And I spoke about this on many occasions on this program over the years. Mm -hmm. You have to appreciate that my principal focus over the years lately has been about how to make friends with, contend with this lactic acid production. And so what we did is we married a very unique cardiovascular treatment to the strength applications, high intensity strength applications in a CrossFit competition. And we're finding that people are able to lift more weight more often and recover much quicker than they had in the past. So by raising their lactate tolerance in their like lactate shuttle system, they're actually able to have more power output for like a single lift. Yeah. So let's just say that your, your greatest capacity to lift is when you're freshest, correct? Right. And then the more you lift, the more fatigue sets in, the less you can do. Mm -hmm. So the governor of your capacity to do the work is, is fatigue and fatigue is generally the onset of lactate production. So the key to all of this has got to do with, well, let's, let's take it a different way. Let's look at you for a for example, okay. and let's discuss Chino for a minute. You told me that in, you know, uh, I guess I can let out of the bag since it's over now that I wanted you to push hard right out of the gate to put pressure on Mark. And you going into this thinking, well, he can outrun me. Not sure that that's a great idea because you might blow up. Mm -hmm. um, 
the concept of blowing up three miles deep into the event, again, lends back to the enemy, which is this lactate production. You're acidic and muscle function is thwarted and you're starting to fall off your capacity to pr produce work. So that is really the, the principal enemy in all of this, which gets back to all the rest of the stuff we do, which is working on economy, working on efficiency and, and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, the thing that needs to be manipulated is your ability to contend with this ensuing production of lactate in almost every endeavor where sport is concerned. Isn't that interesting? That's, that's extremely interesting because you always think of, you know, strength training and endurance training and, and speed training as all these different things when they are different sides of your fitness, but it seems like the enemy of performance in a lot of those like realms, it, it all comes down to the same one thing. Exactly. Now, someone may argue that, you know, if you're a power lifter, that doesn't matter, uh, and so on and so forth. Now, leaning back on this sprinter that I'm working with, his goal is to do 10 seconds in the 100. Now, you would think that that, that isn't enough time to be affected by this lactic acid. But you have to realize that the, the rush of lactic acid that develops in, in that short timeline is enough to influence your central nervous system. And uh, we talked about this on a different occasions too, where, you know, Dr. Timothy Noakes uh, coined the, the term, the central governor theory, which is suggesting that your CNS kind of it stands over all function to, to keep you from harm. So when you start to redline, your brain starts shutting muscle function down to keep you from killing yourself. And one of the ways that it does that, I believe, and that's me talking now, mm -hmm. is that this production of lactate starts to cause the muscle to become toxic, which is one of the ways to start shutting things down. So Incidentally, you think that, like your brain will actually induce like extra lactate production to make I think the it, muscle stop functioning? I think it not only does that, but I think it also causes you to put on the brakes. You'll overstriding is a function of braking. And when you start to go too hard, you start to lead yourself out ahead of your body and start putting on the brakes to shut yourself down. Now that that's a theory that I I'd have a hard time proving. Uh, but I'm not the only one that, that have proposed that that is a thing. So it could be a combination of things that are going on, but I, I can assure you that, in the CNS's quiver of things to pull out when it's time to try to stop you from yourself, lactic acid is on the list, overstriding and braking is on the list, overheating is on the list. I mean, there's a lot of different applications that come in and just neurologically just start shutting you down. So basically we're our own worst enemy. Yes, we are. Or, or we're our own best savior. Because suppose, yeah. the concept is to keep you from harm's way. That's the, the principal role of the central nervous system is to keep you from harm's way. First concern, and I'm rambling a little bit, but you, you've already told me that you have to rein me in, but I just find this- I think this is a very interesting conversation though, that the, I don't think anyone would have thought of this. You know, the fact that your brain is naturally gonna, you know, like your subconscious is gonna try to stop you from pushing 
past, you know, your natural limits and, and end up hurting yourself because as athletes, you know, you get used to the hurt and the pain of, of racing and pushing yourself through it. So everyone eventually develops this like strong mental fortitude where you're willing to just hurt and keep pushing into it. So something has to push back eventually. You're just going to pass out, you know? Well, so, beyond that, so on that note, just so if I could just interrupt you for a second, on yeah. that thread is that the success that you garner from those episodes of being in the pain cave gives you a hall pass. So your brain will actually say, you know what? You didn't die the last three times you tried this. Screw it. I'm going to let you do it. And so you start working your way deeper and deeper into the pain cave because you're getting allowances from your central nervous system. Now, someone might take that bit of information and assume that the thing to do is just keep beating your head against the wall until eventually the wall goes away. And that's not, that's not even for a minute what I'm trying to say here. But I'm just suggesting that there is definitely this governing function that the CNS creates when you start to put yourself in a, in a precarious place. So if you dig deeper, if anybody that's curious about this, just pull up Tim Noakes, N-O-K-E-S, Central Governor Theory, and read it. What he refers back to, which in endurance training, by the way, one of the longstanding oppositions to performance was believed to be glycogen depletion. Okay. So they refer to it as the glycogen depletion model. Essentially, what they w wanted to tell you was that when you run out of sugar, you're done. So this was the thing with a lot of marathoners back in the day. They would eat Snickers bars and things like this, trying to really stack a bunch of carbohydrate in their system before they go out and run 26 miles to kind of uh, overload their body with carbohydrates so there's plenty of it there when it comes time to use it. Well, isn't that the idea behind, you know, all these gel and goo fuels right now? Well, it's you, still yeah, yeah but so, so now, but listen to what I'm saying. So the glycogen depletion model suggested you run out of sugar, that causes you to fail. The truth of the matter is you will never, ever, ever run completely out of sugar from your body. You'll never get to that state. Your body won't let you get to that state. Now, but when oh, you start, when you start to get precariously low, putting a goo packet or something in the system kind of revitalizes you because that, that sugar is going straight into your bloodstream. And so it's basically the form of glucose in your bloodstream, and that's the first defense. The glycogen coming out of the muscle fortifies the, the, the glucose in your bloodstream. And so at the end of the day, by taking this goo packets, you're, you're buying a little bit of time. And, but you really aren't ever going to run out of sugar. That's not going to happen. Okay, so you're saying that basically it's not you just running out of sugar that takes you out of the race. It's your mind or your CNS making you slow down so that you won't. I'm saying that the central nervous system identifies that things are not quite what they should be, and they, it becomes concerned and starts looking for ways to get you out of trouble. All right, fair enough. So there's a whole host of things going on, right? and so the conversation is not really about whether this glycogen depletion model matters or not. It just kind of stems back to what occurs when you have fatigue. So identifying what specifically fatigue is, what causes it to come about, the leading consideration in that regard 
is the production of lactate and the inability to move it away from the working muscles. And it, and it occurs at various levels of intensity. Mm -hmm. It's slower in coming when you go long because the rush of lactate is not as severe as it is in a higher intensity effort. But at the end of the day, the way you mitigate that production of lactate is what matters. And that's what I've been playing with a lot. And so we've created what I call this flow approach to training. And it's supported through clinical analysis. So doing the VO2 max test on these athletes on these different devices is what led us to determine where they need to begin and end. In other words, developing an equation for people to use absent the ability to be tested by me and then use that model in their training. And that's what we did. And that works across the board. So, you know, short story or long story made short is that over the past almost year now, yeah. uh, people were waiting for me to bring out Training the Dark Side, which was a book that's been sitting on my desk and I've been working on and I'm all the way to the last chapter and stopped. And then started getting into this CrossFit dilemma. I look at it as a dilemma because I'm trying to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. And got some really interesting feedback from that concept of fatigue. And then building on that is actually helping me to get to a better place when I round the corner and bring it back to training endurance athletes and how they should might approach that. Incidentally, final thought on this, all of the sudden, out of the blue, an entirely new sport evolves drops right in my lap and it <laughs> and it's absolutely perfect for the type of training that I've been writing program for which is high rocks unbelievable race. unbelievable all of a sudden I'm going wait a tick this program is absolutely I mean it's going to require a little tweak here and there but at the end of the day it's going to take me 15% of my energy to model this type of training for high rocks and I promise you that, you know, not to take anything away from the skills and talents of a lot of other people that are out there working really hard to create a program for high rocks right now, me coming around the horn the way I have, the unique approach to the way we're going to visit this type of process is going to kill. It's going to be a very, very powerful process. So that's what I've been doing. Well, I'm excited to see it. I mean, based on the success and what I've heard from, you know, the athletes that you worked with on the, the first um, Dark Horse program, I think this one's going to be freaking amazing. And then getting to see you actually testing and getting metabolic data on each individual machine. So you got like... Where do you see the video? I'm excited. Where do you see the video? I'm telling you. They, they, you know, we had a guy come out. Uh, he, you know who he is. He, he did an amazing job capturing this whole adventure. And uh, we're like right now going through and editing right now. It looks amazing. So Sweet. I'm pretty excited about it. So I, I want to get off that for a minute. And I want to get off me for a lot. And I want to talk about what's just kind of transpired and I think is on the minds of a lot of obstacle course racing athletes these days. World Championships went to Dubai. Abu Dhabi. Nearby. Near, near Abu Dhabi, Dubai Dhabi. Whatever. It's going to the Middle East, right? It's going off in the it desert is. into the Middle East. Yeah. So I, um, I looked into it a lot, you know, and 
since we all knew it was coming. It was no secret. They, they, people had been leaking this information for a couple of months now. So big announcement comes out that it's going to be in the middle of the sand dunes out in the desert in Abu Dhabi. And a lot of people, I, I don't know the consensus in, you know, all the other parts of the world, all the European racers, the Asian racers, what they're thinking. But at least in the U.S., a lot of people are really unhappy. Like, I think everyone wanted to see it, the championships leave the U.S. You know, it's been here a long time. It's been here since the start. And then they put it in Abu Dhabi, where you're going to have like a $1,500 flight out there just to go compete. And it's in the middle, it's, it's in December as well. So that's when everyone's off season supposed to be. So now you're elongating the Spartan season all the way from, what do we got? The 23rd is the, of February. The 23rd of February is the first championship series race in the U.S. And then we're going all the way until December in Abu Dhabi for the world championships. And that's just so long to try to maintain any kind of fitness. So. I think there's a lot of weird stuff going on and the consensus from a lot of the people I've spoken to is they are not happy it's there. And I guess we can talk about the different sides of why people aren't happy, but first thing is just how far away and location it is. Well, I, I wrote in a Facebook post, somebody broached the concept of, you know, the what's going on with this? What do you feel about this? And what I said was, it's the beginning of the end. And really? I don't know that that's true, but that's how I feel about it. I feel like, I feel, I mean, <laughs> appreciate this, okay? I don't mm -hmm. race in this sport. So how it affects me is almost immaterial. But I do work with a lot of athletes that are racing. And I do work with a lot of age groupers and people that, you know, would compete in world championships when it was in Tahoe or when it was in the States. And I'm sure that most of them would make the pilgrimage to almost any location in the United States to compete. But when you cross the pond, it's a game changer. So when you think of what really supports the sport, it's all those age groupers. It's all those people that are trying, you know, the, the comments about getting off the couch and so on mm -hmm. and so forth. These are the meat and potatoes of the sport. These are the yeah. people that, that pay the bills, pay the rent. And they just now, in my opinion, were slapped across the face. It, now it becomes, you know, this thing we're going to do in the Middle East as a, as a world championship. Now, and I got nothing against these people, mind you. I don't. But let's, you know, and I thought about this a lot today because I knew we were going to talk about it. When I've been to the World Championships the last four years at Lake Tahoe, and uh, think of the economic impact for that region when World Championships falls on Lake Tahoe. And essentially, it's the off-season for them. They make right. their bones when they're skiing going on and such and such. This, this is off season, all those little shops. I bought pizza, as you well know, last year for everybody. <laughs> right. And uh, standing in line waiting for my pizzas, plural, I think I don't got like six of them or something like that. 
I said, uh, I was talking to one of the girls. I said, my God, how many peaches do you think you're going to sell today? I'm a capitalist. I'm curious, right? She goes, we're going to sell 3,000 pizzas today. She goes, that's what we predict. And the average cost per pizza was like 10 bucks. That place was going to do not in drinks, not in salads, not in whatever else's, but in pizzas are going to do 30 grand. And who knows what the girls are going to make working there in tips. So the economic impact across the board for that particular location is it's crazy how much that yeah. influences that that area not to mention you can't find a place to to stay because it's sold out everywhere almost can't get a rent a car flights going into the airport just you know one thing after that all the things that are going to happen to that region now let's talk about uh is it abu dhabi or dubai i'm confused abu dhabi abu dhabi, abu dhabi. okay what I, the only thing I know about Abu Dhabi are two things. A, there's a buttload of money in, in Abu Dhabi. Well, three things. There's a tremendous amount of oil production, money, and desert. They don't need this economic influx from us, right? Not at all. They're, what they're doing, whoever's promoting the idea of, of uh, the Spartan program coming to the desert, they're doing it for, let's call it for sport. They just want to draw this thing in and they got so much money that they can do whatever they want to. And I'm sure they made Joe DeSena an offer he cannot refuse. Well, yeah, they definitely paid to have it out there. Like Tahoe couldn't match the amount of money that Abu Dhabi was handily ready to throw out so yeah i mean um abu dhabi and dubai and stuff have been having a lot of sporting events um in the last few years like the ufc has been going out there i think they've had some like formula one racing and stuff that's been happening out there so they're actually trying to bring like international sports to abu dhabi it's entertainment right For, for them it's exclusively entertainment and uh they don't need it and I'm not suggesting that, you know, Joe DeSena being in business shouldn't take the deal. I think if it were me and I was him, I would probably take the deal. But it's very selfish because I know a lot of people that aren't going to make it to world championships because it's going to the Middle East. It's too far, too expensive, it's just way too far off their radar to be able to participate. And I think that's a shame. Well, that, also, you, you got to think about how many people didn't make it to the U.S. too. How many people didn't make it to Lake Tahoe just because it wasn't, you know, an available thing for them. Well, a lot people of people on the lived, East Coast. You know, maybe on that side of the world. Right. East Coast people didn't, didn't show up. A lot of them that I know didn't show up to world championships because it's just a little bit of a pilgrimage for them to, to, to cross the states. It's a little too far. When they start looking at the money that they got to invest to participate in that one particular event, it's a little too much. Now, you, for example, it's amazing because you're going to go out there, and I don't know what the deal is yet, but I would imagine that, A, they're going to cover all your expenses to be there. Hmm. They will. Well, I, I, if, if I sign with Spartan, we don't know what's going on there. Well, I, I'm just saying, a... let's, let's just assume that you do. And if you do, when it comes time to participate in world championships, you as on the, being on the pro team, 
you're going to get invited and they're going to take care of you really, really well. And the odds are that the probably the prize money is going to be really, really good because they got lots of money to give away. And, and I, I don't know this to be true, but I would speculate that the reason why they would make a deal like this is because there's some people at the top that are going to carry home some big fat paychecks out of this. And I'm talking about the people that are running the sport. Now, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm sure, believe me, if, if they're not, then it doesn't make any sense to me at all. Um, and, it, you know, being that it's a product that they're selling, you know, in business, if you can make that money, take that money. I, I get it. But speaking for the people at large, I just think for a lot of people, it's a bit of a slap in the face. At least the people that have had it really close to them and everything. But I, I really liked the idea of taking it out of the U.S., you know, and bringing it somewhere else. I mean, Spartan's a global sport now. And they have races all over the place. And most countries you can think of have a Spartan race, either just a single race or a series out there. So I think it was about time. Um, I don't know if Abu Dhabi was necessarily the place. Like, I know the history of, like, the culture out there. And I looked up some of the um, places that um, – what's it called that aren't accepting of either women or uh, yeah. like uh, homosexuals out there and out there you can actually go to jail if you're yeah. gay. So I don't know how that's going to, how that's just super accepting and open to all of yeah, you know Spartan's customers and athletes. So I don't know if things are changing out there. I'm sure there's a lot of information that's going to come out about that because that's going to be a huge concern. Right. And I mean, just as far as I know, a lot of people would want to go out there. Like I think of this place, this super luxurious, you know, area somewhere I haven't been, I'd love to go experience it. But at the same time, like, do, is, is this a place I want to bring my girlfriend to, yeah. you know, and, and, and have her there. Or does so, she want to go? <laughs> yeah. Does she even want to go? Right. So, um, I'm not sure I, that those are my primary concerns. Like, is that a place I want to go support? So I, I have a lot of education, you know, to, to do just to learn about that area and see if it's something I would want to even go out and do. But the event itself seems like it's going to be very, a very cool event, the way they're putting it on. Yeah. Um, Let, let's take yeah. it a different, let's take it a different light. Okay. Just, just to put it into context. Let's just say that next year, the NFL says they're going to put the Super Bowl in Abu Dhabi. Hmm. Okay. Think about that just for a minute. American sport, it's not exclusive to the United States. There's football around the world. Right. But it's an American sport. It was spawned, developed, brought up here just like, like baseball, you know? And – all of a sudden, all the fans, all the people that were just, they eat, sleep, drink football, find out Super Bowl's going to the Middle East. Let's see, forget about the Middle East. Let's just, let's, let's say Asia. Super Bowl's going to Asia because the NFL got offered a big fat check to make it happen. Hmm. How do you think that the the fans of the sport are going to take that well the the only thing that uh wouldn't make sense there is that 
they don't have any teams competing in the NFL from Asia. The, the one thing about Spartan is they have people competing in the world championships that do Spartan race in the Middle East. They have people what, like in four? Asia all over. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have the races out there already. They're having one this weekend. I'm pretty I'm sure, sure this weekend are. there's a race out in like. But do you understand what I'm saying? Somewhere. It's like. Yeah, for sure. It's like uh, I, I used to uh, do a program for the county that was actually to help kids stay off drugs and alcohol, this kind of thing. It's called Friday Night Live. And I wanted to take a bus load of kids to Disneyland. Okay. We had budget for it. The county paid me money for this kind of thing. So we're lining up these buses and we're lining it up for these kids. And they said, well, if you're going to go for every 10 kids that come on the bus, you need one signer. Signer meaning somebody that can, can communicate with the deaf and hearing impaired. I didn't have any deaf kids that I'm aware of, might, might have been like one, but because of the cost exponentially was so much greater to have those signers come along with us, we couldn't do it. Nobody's going to Disneyland because if the event we have one deaf person among the 200 other kids, there's gotta be somebody that can communicate with that kid. And I get it, it sucks that you can't hear and it should be somebody there, you, you know, you got rights, whatever. But I mean, it's just the imbalance of the process that, that what I'm talking about. So you're talking about, yeah, okay, uh, in the Middle East, they have people that are participating in these events. But comparatively speaking, I'd rather get those 10 people on the bus and bring them over here than try to move, you know, the, the, the 10,000 people from the states into the desert. So I, I don't know, I just, I'm conflicted with the whole idea that the thing's moving away. And I think it's a bad move. If, if I was on the board of directors for this group, I'd be lobbying really, really hard to not have this happen because I think the check that comes down initially is not going to be heavy enough to make up for all the damage that may potentially be created. Well, most of the, most of the athletes are still going to do all the races throughout the year that are Spartan like in the u.s so the u.s national series north american championships that's all still here so everyone's going to be all stoked on that you're right they just won't have a chance to do the world championships so spartans pockets are still fat but i think how this is going to affect you is you're going to have to start training people for ocr worlds and not spartan race worlds because most of the people around here just switch their plans from spartan world championships to ocr world championships fine with me you know me i'm a mercenary man i just i take clients <laughs> one at a time and it doesn't make a difference to me whether they're going to win place or show they come for help i give them help that's all i do and you know if if the game changes which apparently it is now we got high rocks we got this other thing deca fit um the games are changing and I think that, the, that there might be a big shift in the type of competitions people want to participate in, the, the approach to training. And can I tell you something? I'm going to be here. I'm going to be ready for it, one way or the other. <laughs> so good. any parting statements? We're rambling. This is, you know, we said, yeah, we, about 30 minutes. Here we go. It's getting close to an hour. Well, um, no, I think that's pretty good. Um, so Spartan Race Worlds is going to be in Abu Dhabi in December. But um, main focus on us over here is going to be OCR Worlds in October, which was the main focus anyways. Right. Um, 
so that's good for me. But then, th- what do you know about um, FISU World Championships? Zero. So FISU I, World Championships is the Russia. official federation obstacle racing world championships in Sochi, Russia. So uh, a country that no official like Olympic event is allowed to have a championship event because of their government doping program. Obstacle racing is going to have their first federation event <laughs> in Russia. That's Ian Adamson, right? He's, he's kind of heading that up. Yeah, that's, that's his thing. That's all him. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I like Ian and I, I, I hope and wish the best for him. And I don't know, Russia has not exactly been shown to be a favorable nation with us these days. I don't know. I don't know. I can't speak on it. Again, I'm just, I'm a mercenary. You come to me and whatever it is you're trying to get done, I'm going to try to help you get there. That's all I care about. Uh, one, one at a time. That's, that's how I work. Let's so next event for you is Jacksonville. We're going to go out there and crush that stuff. I'm not going with you, by the way. I'm not going to go with you. You know, unless well, it's you... far. I, I, I'm nobody's going with me. Actually, my dad's coming with me, so it's going to be me and my pops right. on a well, mission. If you could finally pull a decent sponsor that's willing to cover the expenses of your coach, I'm there. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll we'll start a package deal thing. We'll start pitching it to people. Swear to God, no kidding. Hey, right, Red well, Bull, you need a coach. No kidding. Here. Yeah, start drinking Red Bull, Red Bull and vodka or something. You know, I don't know. All right. Anyway, look, uh, VJ, thanks so much. Uh, it was great talking. I, I think we covered a lot of cool stuff, and I hope cool. uh, people enjoy it. Let's do it. Sounds right. good. Cheers. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network, drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.